Amen. Amen. How many of you believe that song? He's coming back. We talked about that last week. We're going to turn the page to what we do in the meantime. I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes a letter to a church that he loves dearly, a church that he started, a church that he desperately wanted to get back to and had been unable. He said there's roadblocks, there's hindrances in the way. He sent Timothy back to the church, and Timothy now has joined back with Paul and Silas, and he's given them a report. So what you see written in 1 Thessalonians is a reaction, a response to the report that Timothy has given him. Last week, we looked at the end of chapter 5, the first part of chapter, excuse me, the end of chapter 4, the first part of chapter 5, and Paul was teaching on the return of Christ, the snatching away of the church, the day of the Lord. And so he's coming back. We know that. What a great song. So thank you for that. Thank you for leading us today. Thank you for pinch hitting and doing a great job, Steve, and the family. So thank you so much. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 12 and following. And I want you to pay attention because this is a word for the church. And there's a word for you individually, and we're going to apply it to us. And then there's a great word about our loving God. Verse 12. But. So Paul's talked about the second coming. He's talked about encouraging each other twice in the last passage. He said, Jesus is coming back. Encourage each other with this knowledge. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. And he will also bring it to pass. So here's what we do in the meantime. This is Paul's instruction to the church in the meantime. And the first part of this, you're going to think, well, this is a little bit self-serving. You're telling them that we need to esteem pastors, and you should. But I'm, I'm preaching this on behalf of your pastor. How about that? The church that you attend regularly. First, we request of you, brethren, gentle request. This isn't Paul rebuking them. This isn't Paul coming down hard on them and saying, I command that you do this. But you have to ask the question, if Paul wrote it, why? Well, keep in mind, the church at Thessalonica was a young church, new believers. So Paul has left elders in charge of the church, and some of the church could have been looking at these elders saying, wait a minute, you haven't known the Lord any longer than I have. And yet, through God's sovereignty and provision and protection, he's appointed these elders in the church. And so Paul said, here's how you ought to treat those elders. First of all, appreciate them. Know the worth of, regard with favor. If you're thinking about the, the pastor or the ministers at your church and you can't regard them with favor, something's wrong. We need to deal with that, so pay attention. 
Appreciate those who labor diligently among you. Literally, it means to feel fatigue, exert energy to the point of weariness. See, most people think pastors only work one day a week. And you're thinking, well, Robert, how do you get by? You, you preach 20 times a year. You know, it's a great gig if you can get it. But most people don't understand what goes on in a pastor's life. With one phone call, you can go from joy with one call. The next phone call could be sadness. People don't understand the path that a pastor and his family walk serving God. So be appreciative for those who diligently labor among them and have charge over you, literally to, to preside over, to stand before. Call appointed elders even in a young church. So have charge over you in the Lord. Keep in mind, this isn't self-appointed. Pastors should have been called of God to ministry first and then called of God to the church where they're serving God. So treat them with respect. Treat them as those who have charge over you in the Lord. It's amazing the human approach that some people take with their pastor. I've, I've heard this. Two things I'm going to share with you I've heard in churches. One, I heard one guy get up one time and say, Pastor, I was here when you got here, and I'll be here when you leave. Well, bless your heart. Worse than that, I heard someone literally stood up in a church that I served in Texas. I was youth pastor, so I wasn't the target. But he said, the reason my family joined this church is because it was a small country church, and I intend to keep it that way. Well, that church today runs about 15,000 people on Sunday morning on multiple campuses around the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's called the Village Church. Matt Chandler's the pastor. It used to be First Baptist Church, Highland Village, Texas. When I was there, it was a big deal if we had 100 people show up on Sunday morning. In fact, one thing it was a big deal, we had accordion doors in the back of the sanctuary that were Sunday school classrooms, and the deacons would get a big smile on their face if they had to open those doors because we had enough people. My first Sunday night, I had two youth. I think they were the preacher's kids. The next week, we had four. We had doubled in attendance in one week. I was the fastest-growing youth ministry in the country. But somebody literally stood up and said, because we were going to do an outreach in the neighborhood, we're not part of that. We don't want to be a part of that. We joined this church because it was a small country church, and we intend to keep it that way. Seriously? Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Some folks have roast preacher for lunch. I've been there. But esteem them highly in love because of their work. Forbes says that the, the role of pastor is the fifth tough, toughest leadership role in the United States. So rather than disparage your pastor, pray for your pastor. Have you ever thought about that? If you're thinking his sermons sure are dry, have you prayed that his sermons would get anointed and not be so dry? It may be something's going on in your pastor's life that is causing stress and strain. So pray for your pastor. Perhaps go to the, now don't go to him and say, Pastor, your sermons sure are, pri, sure are dry. What can I do to help you? But ask him, hey, is there any, any way I can help you, any way I could serve you as my pastor? And live in peace with one another. I think specifically Paul's saying to the church at Thessalonica, live in peace with your pastor, and pastor, live in peace with your people. Stories told of a mom that went to wake her son up for church, knocks on his door, opens the door, it's time to get up, breakfast is ready, let's go to church. And he said, I'm not going today. He said, what do you mean you're not going today? He said, that, those people down there are mean they're hypocrites. They talk bad about the preacher. I'm not going. She said, yes, you are going. He said, give me one good reason why I should go. 
He said, I'll give you more than one reason. Number one, it's the Lord's Day Sunday. You're going to worship God. Number two, you're the pastor. <laughs> so live in peace with one another. Listen, we need to fix this first part before we can do the second part, but he's going to give six, six instructions to the church that they should do within the church. This is how the church should treat one another. There's going to be times when you need help. There's going to be times when you need to be the one that helps. And that's what the, the beauty of the church, the body of Christ is. So he says, we urge you, brethren. Again, a tender word. He exhorted them first or he requested of them. Here he urges them. First, admonish the unruly. Admonish. Literally, reprove them gently. But if they're unruly, get them back ruly. <laughs> unruly was a military term. It meant the whole column of soldiers were marching this way. And you got one guy who's going the wrong way or not going at all. If that's happening in church, it's responsibility for the church to go find out what's going on in that guy or that lady's life and admonish them, encourage them, call them alongside of you, get them back with the flow of the way God is working. And here's how they'll operate. Here's how you can acknowledge an unruly person. They'll start saying, well, I'm not giving anymore until you change something. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the color of the chairs. I don't like the music. I don't like the temperature. So I'm not giving anymore. Or... They just stir up dissension behind the scenes. And sometimes they'll do it as a prayer request. We need to pray for Martha. Sorry, Martha. Why? Because yada, yada, yada. So they've turned prayer request into gossip. So they stir up dissension. Or they only show up for business meetings. I had a pastor one time tell me, my goal for my church is to see this place filled. I said, I can fill it next week. He said, what do you mean? Well, either one of two things. Either announce Elvis is going to do a concert that he hadn't been dead all these years, and the church will be filled, or just just have a church fight. We're going to have a business meeting because we're going to run off the ministry of music. Place will be filled. And you'll see people there who hadn't been to church maybe in a year, but they'll show up for a contentious business meeting. So admonish. Come alongside those that you see that are unruly in the church and try to bring them back in the flow of what God's doing. Encourage the faint-hearted. Literally console those that are fearful and worried. These are the kind of the church members that's kind of on the fringe. They've lost their boldness. They're, un, they're faint of heart. They lack confidence. Encourage them. Help the weak. Literally strength, strengthless or impotent or sick. This could apply physically or spiritually. Probably more so spiritually. It's the same word that James uses when he says, If any among you is sick, call the elders. Have the elders come and pray over them. So Paul says, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Did you know that was actually in Scripture? We're to be patient with one another? That's hard, isn't it? Somebody said, don't ever pray for patience because the only way you get patience is going through trials and difficult times. But be patient with everyone. Have a long fuse. Some people are hard to get along with. Jesus had 12 disciples. He looked at them one day and said, have I been with you so long and yet you still have no faith? There's times as pastors we're tempted to say the same thing, and as church members you're tempted to say the same thing. But be patient with everyone, not just the people that's easy to be patient with, but be patient with everyone. See that no one, see to it. So this is that, that responsible word, to see that no one repays evil for evil. If you see conflict happening in the church and you see somebody that feels like they've been wronged and so they're going to double up on that and do wrong to the other person, Call that out. Don't let revenge take place. 
in the church. So don't repay evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and all people. So our goal in church, whether you're the minister or whether you're a church member, you're, you're a minister if you're a church member. If you've been called to Christ, you've been called into ministry, whether it's vocationally or not. So seek good for not just the church members, but he says for all people. Do you really want good to happen to those people who aren't part of your church? Or more, more than that, do you really want good to happen for those people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Sometimes we cross our arms and say, well, they got what they deserved. Let me tell you something. That's not God's attitude. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That ought to be our attitude. So as we seek good, sometimes that good would be that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you start by praying for them and look for opportunities to share that. So that's really the word for the church. Then it gets real personal. The next section is you personally, six things. First, rejoice always. That's hard to do too. You don't fake it. You don't say, okay, I'm going to have joy. You don't strain and work for joy. Joy comes from the inside out. It's a gift. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. So rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. I remember as a college student, I read that verse and thought, okay, I'm just not going to ever say amen. So I'll pray and just leave the prayer open. I don't think that's what the verse means, but I also don't think it means that you stand and just in a room and do nothing else but just constantly in an attitude or state of prayer. I think it's more an attitude of prayer. So Paul's calling the church to pray without ceasing, be diligent, dedicated to pray. Paul called for prayer. I want to call you to prayer. A lot of folks have been quoting Second Chronicles 7, 14. I'm going to put it on the screen, or Casey is. 2 Chronicles 7.14, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what we don't read in that is the verse right before that. I've heard that verse all my life. Here's the verse right before it. If I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or if I command a locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence or pandemic among my people, and my people who are called by my name. I want to call you as a church to pray, not just today. But would you pray for our land? Would you pray for our world? We're in the middle of something that most of us have never experienced in our lifetime, a worldwide global pandemic, and I'm tired of it. I'm sick of the fact that I've got friends that have gone on to be with the Lord, and I miss them. I'm tired of the fact we've got to wear a mask everywhere we go, and we've got to be afraid to be around people. We've got to be afraid to hug somebody or touch them. And I'm not saying don't be smart. I'm just saying I wish this thing was over. So pray. Put the verse back up. Put verse 14 back up there, Casey. Here's how you do the prayer. Humble yourself and pray. Seek God's face. Turn from your wicked way. Maybe the first thing you need to do is say, God, is there wickedness in me? I'm like David in Psalm 138. Search me and know me. See if there's any evil in me. And repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Then God promises I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, this is written to Jews, but I think it can apply to God's people. We've been grafted in, right? So pray without ceasing. 
James writing in chapter 4, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. So it's important to pray. I think some of us get the attitude sometimes, well, why do I need to pray? God knows what I need. He's sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. There's evidence in Scripture where God doesn't do because people don't pray. So pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Be grateful. For this is God's will concerning you in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to a church to say, be a thankful people even in tough times. Find something to thank God for. And certainly when God pours out a blessing, don't just receive it and forget, but come back to God and say, God, you answered my prayer. Thank you. That's, that's helpful to keep a prayer journal so you can look back sometimes. I've been praying over these things for a while. And you look back and say, you know what? God answered that prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you for answering that prayer. Do not quench the Spirit. Be careful here, church. You can sin against the Holy Spirit by trying to quench the Spirit. The word quench literally means to extinguish. It's like putting out a fire. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Some churches, not your church and certainly not this church. Some churches have self-appointed cold water committees. You ever heard of them? God shows up, starts doing something, they pour cold water in. We've got to put that out. And here's their byline. We ain't never done it that way before. As soon as you hear that, I tell you, they're on the verge of quenching the Spirit. Let's just keep this as a museum, doing it the way we've always done it. reason we joined this church because it was a small country church. We knew everybody. We were comfortable. You're bringing us out of our comfort zone. We don't like it. And you could be quenching the spirit of something God is trying to do, and that is a dangerous place to put yourself in. And I think the better you know God and his character, the better you'll recognize God when he's doing something new and fresh. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Don't despise. Don't look down on prophetic utterances and you think well what, what does that mean the word prophecy could mean foretelling telling the future that hadn't happened yet and the bible has evidence of that but it's also forth telling it's speaking forth the truth of god two out of every three times that prophecy is mentioned in scripture is more the forth telling than it is the foretelling foretelling happens in the old testament and in the new testament but forth telling happens in both that is simply here's the word of the lord here's what god has said Here's what we read now in the pages of Scripture, the Scripture that is inspired, God-breathed, anointed of God. That is foretelling. What I'm doing today is foretelling. So don't despise that. Don't look down on it. But examine everything carefully. Listen, just because a preacher says it, if they don't back it up with Scripture, then you need to find out, is that in the Bible? Because will you believe it? There's some preachers that say things that aren't in the Bible. Did you know that? I learned this, the, I guess, face first in Ukraine. I went to speak probably 25 years ago at the first, second, second Ukrainian festival of Christian youth. 1,500 teenagers and adults, because to be a youth in Ukraine meant you weren't married. So I had 30-year-olds coming up to me talking about they're ready to get married, but they're still part of the youth group. So if you're a youth pastor, I don't know how you handle that. But one of the things I noticed is it was early enough after the Iron Curtain had fallen that I'm, I'm standing speaking to 1,500 young men, young women in, U, in Ukraine at an outdoor venue. And I talked to them afterwards and realized the questions they're asking me indicated to me I'm not the only preacher over there. So they're asking me things that's challenging the Word of God. And I said, listen, I'm leaving next week. 
Somebody else may come in, but here's a good plan. Anything you hear a preacher say, if it doesn't square with Scripture, then believe Scripture and dismiss what the preacher says. Don't despise prophetic utterance, but examine it. Make sure it's of God, and then cling tight to that which is of value. Sixth thing, abstain from every form of evil. Literally keep distance from every form of evil. Evil means hurtful, harmful, malignant. Abstain. Get as far away from it as you can. Here's the problem with some folks. We want to get as close as we can to the world without crossing some imaginary line. Instead, the question ought to be, how close can I get to Jesus? Now, it doesn't mean we avoid non-believers. But it means we stand up for the truth of God's word even in with non-believers. Non-believers need to see this Christian thing's real and it works. It's authentic, it's genuine, and it's changed my life. Last thing, and I'm done. The last two verses is just a word about God. This points to God, which is the only source for doing what I've been talking about this whole time. You will not do what God's called the church to do. You will not do what God's called you to do individually if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and his power is living this out through you. So kind of as part of a benediction, Paul says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Your salvation brings you peace with God. Before coming to faith in Christ, you're an enemy because you're against everything he stands for. But you come to faith in Christ, you've, now had, you've been put at one again with God. There's been peace that has been made. And may he sanctify you. Talked about this the other week. Three theological great words. One is salvation. That happens the day you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. The second sanctification. That begins the day you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a work that God's doing in your life that he's promised to bring to completion. It's God is making you look more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. And ultimately, there's glorification. That takes place with new heavenly bodies in heaven, spending eternity with God and Jesus. So, may the God of peace sanctify you. How much? Entirely. May no part of your being be unaffected. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved. Interesting, Paul used all three. Soul and spirit last forever. Your body is going to decay. You're going to be given a new heavenly body. But one of the things Paul's speaking to is in the Greek culture, the body was seen as evil. And Paul said, that's not godly. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so until you pass away and your body begins to decay, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he prays, he speaks and says, may God preserve entirely your spirit, your soul, and your body and preserve it complete without any blame. As I was studying this passage, they've discovered, archaeologists have discovered tombstones in Thessaloniki, which is what it's called now. And the tombstone indicated this is a Christian. One of the things they said on there is blameless. How can you be placed in the grave and everybody consider you blameless? It's only because you've come to faith in Christ. It's because a Christian, you're a Christian. It doesn't say perfect. It says without blame because the blood of Jesus that they just sung about has been applied to your life. So may he preserve you complete without blame. And there's the word again, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Five chapters in Thessalonians, all five mention the return of Christ. In fact, I think Paul thought he was going to return before he died. But Paul is going to be one of those that we talked about last week that's going to be raised first. And then those who remain 
will be raised together to meet the Lord in the air. And he closes by saying, faithful is he who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. Listen, you can believe God. You can trust God because God is faithful. He's always faithful. He's never been unfaithful. Let's pray together. Lord, thank